This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. We're barely 24 hours into Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' term as Arkansas governor, and we already have more than a half dozen executive orders from the new administration. We'll hear more about that later on today's show. First up, Northwest Arkansas cities released their 2023 approved budgets in the latter part of 2022. This is the blueprint for where citizens' tax dollars go. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope spoke with a couple of officials from Fayetteville and Springdale about Northwest Arkansas cities' growing budgets, raising employees' salaries, investments in public safety, and infrastructure. Some city budgets in Northwest Arkansas grew for 2023 and made investments in public safety and park services. The city of Fayetteville's total operating expense grew about $25 million this year. It added 45 positions and expanded allocations for infrastructure projects like in water, sewer, and transportation. Paul A. Becker, Fayetteville's chief finance officer, says the larger budget is related to more people being in the area. Well, absolutely. We've experienced population growth as demonstrated by the last census. The city is growing rapidly and therefore it puts demands on all of our services that we supply to the public. For example, as far as police and fire are concerned, we've got more geography to cover for the fire and police department, and we've also got larger population, meaning we have more calls for services that we need to answer. And uh, so we've had increase in calls for service. Therefore, we uh, recommended increases both for police and fire. That's just part of it, however. One of the things that we've been doing here in Fayetteville, we've had a significant bond issue, and we have been spending uh, additional bond issue money in parks development, for example, and uh, streets and roads and streets in addition to trails. So as we expand that infrastructure, We've got more maintenance costs associated with that infrastructure, and therefore we have to include more money in the budget and add additional positions to handle maintenance involved in that. Also, part of the increase is driven by other infrastructure, such as a new police station. We, it was necessary to build a new police station. The old station we had is no longer operable for the uh, police department in its current condition and location. We built a new facility and we're going to have expanded uh, costs as far as operations for that facility. And of course, we have to add additional vehicles, etc., to meet the demand. But uh, we've had increases in, uh, in parks. We've had about seven and a quarter people added to parks to help with the parks. And uh, as I said, we've expanded trails also and uh, streets. So all of that uh, puts an additional demand on maintenance activities for us. So all of that is essentially twofold. Number one, brought on by the population, brought on by the infrastructure expansion, which also relates to population growth as the city grows and moves forward. Gotcha. So making these revenue estimates for the new year, how, how did y'all make these revenue estimates going into the new year, when, especially when it concerning the economy and everything along those lines? Has there been any questions raised about, you know, an expanding budget and, uh, and the time that we're living in in the economy? Well, we certainly discussed that, and actually, I discussed that when we when we did our uh, our final workshop with the council. We try to keep the budget rather conservative. This year, sales tax had increased. We expect to close out the year with a 12% increase in sales tax, and sales tax is the biggest revenue driver in the city. As we look at that very, very carefully, one thing about sales tax and motor fuel tax when it comes to the street fund, et cetera, those are rather volatile because if the economy goes down, the usage will probably decline. However, offsetting that is the inflationary impact that we're looking at right now. So the real question just comes down to what's going to happen to that economy. We try to look at that. So we patterned sales tax, and I uh, estimated that sales tax would maintain where it is currently. We're seeing a lot of changes in sales tax. We're seeing a lot of internet sales. We're seeing the hotel motel segment of our economy starting to bounce back. Restaurants are starting to go back, but we don't know if that is going to continue. Our employment here is still pretty high. So 
even after when we're looking at that, we see some additional demand. Uh, as you look around for employees, we've got a lot of businesses that are banding new employees. So when we estimated these things such as sales tax, which is funds quite a bit here in the city, and as we look at things such as motor fuel tax, HMR taxes, things of that nature, we pattern them to what we uh, had collected this year but sales tax, I estimated a 2% increase, so I kept that pretty minimal. Like I said, this year an increase is 12%. I don't believe it's going to increase 12%. Next year, I think it's probably going to level off, but I do think there'll be a little bump because I think it's going to be a while before inflation gets under control. Now, those, again, are speculative. However, when we did formulate the budget and put at it, we looked at that. We try to keep our revenue estimates pretty conservative. Everything else we kind of had held to what it is now or what we feel we felt we would end the year with. So we tried to be as conservative as possible, and we're also in a pretty fair reserve position. So we think we're in a good position. If things do dip a little bit, we'll be able to be carried through by reserves. We figure, however, that the economy will probably decline a bit but inflation will keep those revenues approximately where they are. I think we're in a good position, however. We constructed the budget like that to provide for either direction that the economy may go. And again, if that happens, we'll adjust as we go forward. And Paul, my last question for you is, did we not get to anything? Is there something on your mind that you want somebody to ask you? But, you know, I did not ask you that question. You went into this and we just didn't get to it. Not really. I, I guess I guess what I would continue to reinforce is my peers are in the same position as I am at this point in time. What's going to happen not only in the economy here in the United States and what's going to happen to the international economy? And that's a wild card. We're not quite sure. So what we tried to do, and I'll repeat this again a bit, we tried to be fairly conservative and be prepared if the economy goes either way. We'll be prepared to make adjustments if we have to one way or the other. But uh, right now, I think we're moving forward. I think we're doing a lot of good infrastructure moving forward. And I think we're building infrastructure for the future. Uh, we're replacing things that need replacing. We're putting on additional personnel to meet the demand of, of the citizens. So um, all in all, I guess that's how I would sum it up. But the but the real question for everybody is, is what's going to happen to the economy? We don't know. We think even if the economy, uh, we do have a recession or, or things decline a bit, we think we won't be affected as much as other parts of the country. But who knows? We're going to have to see as that goes forward. Fayetteville, Rogers, Bentonville, and Springdale raised city employee salaries or made some employees eligible for a raise. In Fort Smith, its board of directors increased their salaries for the first time in over 50 years. Cody Lortz, finance director for the city of Springdale, says keeping up with the rising cost of living was one of the reasons it raised employee salaries. And so talking about these funds, what are some highlights for you in the budget? You know, I see that all city employees, including some elected officials, will receive about a 6% salary raise. Or there's, you know, different funds allocated for trail construction and six new firefighter positions and and new positions in the police department. What are some of the highlights for you in, in this budget when it comes to things that you think are the most pertinent? Well, definitely the cost of living adjustment, the 6% raises across the board for city employees is something that's huge. As most people know, across the nation, we've been seeing inflation increases consistently over the last couple of years, which makes things more expensive, you know, for people in general. And, And as a city, we try to make sure that employees are taken care of. We don't want a lot of turnover and things like that where people have to leave to go find other jobs because they're not making enough to be able to live, to be able to afford to live. So doing these pay increases is a way that we're trying to maintain consistency of services for the citizens of Springdale. That's very important there. Um, so some of the other things you mentioned as far as, you know, some new positions in the police department and things like that, 
We've had some shortages there for a long time. Essentially, they've been understaffed. And so we've gone a little bit further. The city council decided to go a little bit further there and actually increase starting pay for the police department by more than 6% in order to try to attract more people who would be willing to, to serve in law enforcement. So with some of these positions for public safety, is it because there's just more people in the area now to cover? Or is it, like you said, kind of there's always been a need for more individuals? Yeah, so uh, we've had a a number of unfulfilled positions in the well in the police and the fire department for a number of years. It gets difficult to fill those positions and for a number of reasons, right? Which I mean, we could talk for days just on, you know, why people choose or don't choose to go into certain job fields and or why they leave and things like that. But we felt as a city though, one spot where we were a little bit behind was with our pay for our, you know, for the police and, and they were understaffed. And, you know, we were, had 17 open positions, which is pretty much almost like a shift, right? Being empty. And so in an effort to to get those filled in, how can you best, you know, draw people to come in and, and take up that profession or, or encourage maybe a lateral transfer from someone from, from somewhere else, you know? And that's, Looking at it, you know, it's how much people are being paid to do that job. Okay. And one question I do have, when it comes to the expenditures, I see that we're not spending as much in streets and different things along those lines. I mean, like, I think from what I saw was about roughly $400,000 we're spending less in streets. When somebody looks at this, is it because that there were certain projects that were finished or, or that, you know, how are those kind of decisions made when something like streets is not as much as expected to be spent in those projects? Right. So a lot of times there are special projects and things like that that go on within streets. So the streets is, is his own existing fund, right? Now, there are a couple factors that go into play there. We currently have a, a bond issue where we are doing infrastructure improvements throughout the city, which is not necessarily reflected in the general fund or in the in the street fund, right? So they're, they're individual projects that, that live separated out from these things here in your normal yearly budget. So there are improvements going on in the city currently as far as roads and things like that go. All that does not necessarily live within this normal street fund on a year-to-year basis. Now, the budget, you know, as far as what's being spent, just depends on what kind of projects that the street department sees that they have coming up in the next year. And that's how how it goes for any department, right? Is they, when we sit down with them when we're starting budget talks, is you know, hey, what are you guys trying to accomplish this next year? Can you come back with a plan of what you're wanting to spend, right? And so that's where the expenditures really come from: is what are their plans for what projects they have to conquer that year? Well, and my last question for you, I know that you are new in your position as of September and everything along those lines, but what is what is one thing that you think is most important? Or sometimes whenever I ask this question, I ask it, what is one question you wish somebody would ask you about your job? Or when going into this conversation, you thought, man, Anna really needs to ask this question. This is something that I want to talk about. And she didn't ask it. And that's ridiculous. So what is one thing that you think is incredibly important that wasn't that we weren't able to talk about? Um, that's a real, that's, that's a great question for one. So, I mean, just right that alone is, is probably good enough, but uh, man, just thinking about it, something I wouldn't necessarily say it's a question, but there's a lot of opportunity and, and maybe the question would, I think now thinking about it is, is how can you help citizens get engaged in what's going on in the city? Right. So, and, and the answer to that question would be is, Hey, we have, you know, these public input meetings every year for budgeting and we'd love to see more people coming out to tell us what they're seeing in the city and, and how you know they think that we can help more or what we can do. So I think that would be the question and response there is, you know, how do you get people more engaged in the budgeting process when that occurs? For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. Members of the Global Save Soil Movement will be at the Fayetteville Public Library to present a short presentation on the Earth's soil tomorrow night at 6. The lecture will discuss soil degradation, 
the part it plays in the overall health of the planet, and a practical guide to address it. Books and other materials will be available for patrons who wish to learn even more about this movement. For more information, savesoil.org. And the NWA, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Council, presents its 27th annual recommitment celebration. Disruptive Love, the Foundation of the Beloved Community, on Saturday evening at 5 in the Event Center in the Fayetteville Public Library. This year's event will feature entertainment, recognition of the 2023 Salute to Greatness Award recipients, recognition of Fayetteville High School and College Scholarship recipients, and an intimate conversation with Dr. Cornell West. For more, nwamlk.org. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for information. Still to come on today's show, the Ozark Mountain Music Festival, known to regular attendees as Osmo Moo, is back this month with stages on three different floors of the Basin Park Hotel in downtown Eureka Springs. Lindsay Liu is one of the headliners this year. Happy to have her headlining our stage on Friday night. She is um, from Michigan and is now in Nashville. Um, she's a very soulful, folky sound. A preview of Osmo Moo is later this hour. And just ahead, day one of Sarah Huckabee Sanders' term as governor of Arkansas began with more than a half dozen executive orders from the new governor. More about that next. Coming up on season four of Undisciplined. I love the ways that they use their environment. I love that they use physical, like the plants that were in Africa, specifically West Africa, they not only use them for medicinal purposes, but they'd use them for physical means, too. Because I think that the people who are outraged, like, why would we not? We want to keep our kids safe and all of these things, you know. And it's like, it's not just a safety These school resource officers are trained to be police officers. The Constitution says it's, it's not right to hold you in custody just because of your poverty. So judges should consider the ability to pay. But what I'm telling you is they don't. Nobody looks at that question. Almost nobody does. Episode one of season four drops January 18th. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. Former White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is now officially Arkansas's 47th governor. Governor Sanders took the oath of office yesterday alongside her family and several dignitaries, including the state's two U.S. senators and former governors David Pryor, Mike Beebe, Asa Hutchinson, and Mike Huckabee, Governor Sanders' father. Speaking to a joint session of the Arkansas legislature yesterday, the governor struck an optimistic tone heading into her first term in office. The people of Arkansas, in their vast wisdom, have entrusted a new generation to lead. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. And you and I are the leaders who our people have chosen to get the job done. Governor Sanders called her election victory a turning point in the state's history as she becomes the first woman voted into Arkansas's highest office. She called on lawmakers to send her bills in line with some of her campaign promises, including slashing taxes. Let's not surrender the competition for jobs to other states. Let's cut taxes and bring jobs right here to Arkansas. And let's also cut wasteful spending so we can continue to phase out the state income tax altogether. Sanders also called for legislation aimed at improving adoption and foster care, ensuring the right to own firearms, and raising the minimum teacher pay. She also mentioned her desire to increase school choice programs and expand prison capacity as two of her biggest goals for her time in office. Shortly after her inauguration yesterday, Governor Sanders signed seven executive orders into law. Josie Lenora, who covers politics from our partner station, KUAR in Little Rock, has this report. The executive orders further conservative social causes and seek to limit government regulations. One institutes a promotion and hiring freeze for all state government workers, while another sets a general cap on government rules and regulations. Sanders also signed an order banning so-called critical race theory from being taught in Arkansas schools. 
The governor also approved a measure which aims to eliminate culturally insensitive words from official use in government. She says that means the gender-neutral word Latinx can no longer be used on state documents. According to research, only 3% of American Latinos and Hispanics use the word Latinx to describe themselves. Yet during the transition, we found numerous instances of departments embracing the use of this term. Uh, And the institution which governs the Spanish language has officially rejected the use of X as an alternative to O and an A in Spanish. Sanders also signed an executive order banning TikTok from being used on government devices. A similar ban had already been put in place by former Governor Asa Hutchinson last month. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Matthew, yesterday in my email box, I got the latest Ozarks at Large KUAF News newsletter. Yeah. Looked really good. Yeah. It gets you caught up on what you might have missed if you missed an edition of Ozarks at Large. Right. It comes into your email every morning and it catches you up on the stories you might have missed from the day before. Um, gives you direct links to our individual stories, which I really appreciate if you know you don't have time to listen to the whole segment, the whole 54. 50- you know, hour-long show, you can catch up on that one story that you make sure you don't want to miss out on. And the newsletter often also reminds you of other things that are happening at KUAF as well. That's right. It's free. It is free. Just go to KUAF.com to sign up. That's right. This is Ozarks at Large. Osmo Moo, the Ozark Mountain Music Festival, returns later this month for its ninth incarnation. Osmo Moo still firmly holds on to its initial concept of an outdoor winter music festival that's completely indoors. Almost all of the music takes place inside the Basin Park Hotel in downtown Eureka Springs. This year, the festival launches Thursday, January 19th. Now, right before the first Osmo Moo, we called Mary House, the producer of that first festival. This year, we called her again to find out how the festival is doing nine years in. She says the newest indoor stage at the Basin Park is on the lobby level, and she says it's the most intimate setting for music at the festival. Calling it the cave stage. So the artists are playing in what used to be known as a speakeasy back in the day, and now is our cave venue. (laughs) Um, and then up on the first floor, which is the same level as the restaurant and bar, it um, is our what we call our game room. And that is a little bit bigger of a stage and um, hosts the earlier bands. And then we roll up to the main stage on the sixth floor, explores all gathering space at the top and um, has the foyer, which is where all the vendors are going to be and two cash bars. And then, of course, the famous main stage there in the Barefoot Ballroom, where we'll close out each night at. The Barefoot Ballroom is called that. I believe I have my history right because uh, it's connected to the game show Truth or Consequences some time ago. You got it. Yes. There, Yeah, there was a, a prize and people got to, to go to Eureka Springs and there was a Barefoot Ball. But I bring that up because you can... You can attend this entire festival. Maybe we've talked about this before, Mary. You can attend this festival without your shoes on. Yeah, for sure. We welcome all kinds, all kinds, all the tire. <laughs> no shoes required. <laughs> uh, the bands are coming from all over. As far as California this year. So. And it's an eclectic lineup. And what's really uh, interesting to me is it's a lot of musicians and bands that we haven't had a chance to see uh, in Northwest Arkansas, the region before, how how do you put this together? <laughs> I wish there was like a a um, playbook for me to learn, but really, I would just say it's just me. Um, a lot of research, a lot of connected connections to agencies and managers throughout the country, and then of course, um, you know, my personal um, discoveries that I find over the years. So, just gets pieced together how it works out, but. <laughs> uh. I, the, this year's headliner, I suppose you would say, is uh, Lindsay Liu. What what can you tell us about Lindsay Liu? Yeah. Well, I can tell you that um, Lindsay Liu is fantastic, of course. <laughs> I'm very um, happy to have her headlining our stage on Friday night. She is um, from Michigan and is now in Nashville. Um, she's a very soulful 
folky sound. All white as snow, all white as snow, and black as night, and black as night. You know you can't, you know you can't give up the fight. There with the stars, there with the stars up in the sky, up in the sky. The angel band, the angel band sings by and by, sings by. The word powerhouse comes to mind. So she's a powerhouse on stage and really demands attention and and yeah, we'll be there to entertain us on Friday night, so I'm really excited. Uh, between this conversation and when the festival starts, we'll have Haymakers from Wichita, Kansas uh, on our show as well. And they're bluegrass, but there's a real sort of different sound to them, I think. so high I'm running for my life tonight and all that's left to guide my sight is moonlight on the mountain so high I'm wanted in the valley down below I'm wanted in the valley down below they want to hang me on the morn for a murder I did not perform I'm running from the valley down below There's moonlight on the mountain so high Moonlight on the mountain It's a little old-timey, and, and they've actually played our festival before, so I'm so excited to have them back. We've kept in touch over the years. You mentioned people being there before. Have you seen over the previous eight years that you have people coming back to the festival, people not to play music, but to listen to music year after year? Absolutely. Diehards, as we call them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes um, we do, for sure. Um, we have fun, you know, looking at the reservations every year um, and just we can see their past reservations. And we're like, oh, yeah, they love this room. We're going to put them in that room. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Do some people come back? Yeah. You know, because if it's an outdoor festival, I know if it's a jazz fest in New Orleans, people would like, I want to be here. Do people say, I'd like room 415 or something? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our reservation team is incredible. They take really great notes, so there's no guessing. <laughs> <laughs> and did I read somewhere there's something happening with the doors of the rooms this year? Oh, yes. So um, what you're referring to is our door decorating contest. We started that, I think this will be our third year to do it. So it's so fun. We encourage um, folks to bring extra stuff, decorations with them. They can theme it or not theme it. Um, But a little tip, though, the themes, you know, they really do well on the judging panel. So so we've had beach themes, music themes. All kinds. I think Golden Girls was one last year. So, and your judges go around throughout the weekend and just, you know, take notes of who participated, and that winner gets to come back with a, with a full event pass next the following year. Yeah, so, so it's not just bragging rights. I mean, you get something pretty no. cool out of this. <laughs> yeah, for sure, you get to be invited back on us the following year. So. All right. The great one of the great things about this festival is it is intimate, and and now you've got the cave bar, which is even more intimate. But int- intimacy can present a challenge in that there aren't a million tickets available. Are there any left? <laughs> there are a few left. Yes, we are trending ahead of the game this year, meaning we've sold more tickets at this point than we normally have. Um, so they're still available for sale um, on our website, and um, right now we only have we're. We have a couple ticket types open. Um, we're doing our all-access pass, which, of course, we highly recommend because it's four days of music plus all the activities that we're offering and the whole experience. 
Um, and then we have our Thursday day, Thursday night pass available, which is our local night with our local band. And then our Sunday um, blue, uh, I'm sorry, gospel set available as well. Um, as for Friday and Saturday day tickets, that all depends on the occupancy and availability of the tickets. So right now it's all access is the only way to get that. And if there's any left, then we'll open up day tickets to fill the room for sure. All right. It, it begins on the 19th. What else should we know? Well, bring your dancing shoes, that's for sure. Um, It's always full of um, really good music, you know, um, that will help you get up on the dance floor all weekend long, Um, as well as the listening rooms are really, like you said, intimate and wonderful. You know, and then we also have been splashing in some activities, and those were really well attended last year, so we're going to up those again this year. We've got macrame workshop we're having yoga and mimosas and then we get to also push the crowd up to the crescent hotel to ice skate on their ice skating rink (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty cool you said orange juice or yoga and mimosas that's what i said yeah Yeah, okay so (laughs) is that one event like it's yoga and mimosas (laughs) you got it you got it (laughs) So we do encourage you to do yoga first and then complimentary mimosas after. <laughs> but each their own, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, yeah. So. And all of this can be found at OzarkMountainMusicFestival.com? Yes, you got it. Now, I don't know if you remember, Mary, nine years ago when, when you and I talked, and it was before the first one, and we were both figuring yep. out, I think, you know, what, what this was going to mean. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you gave me a lesson then how to say, oh, Osmo Moo. And I'm wondering, does anyone still call it that? Or is it just, do, do we say Ozark Mountain Music Festival? No, if you're a diehard, you call it Osmo Moo. <laughs> <laughs> Our marketing team calls it that still. We all do. <laughs> Mary Howes is the producer of the Ozark Mountain Music Festival, or Osmo Moo. The music starts on Thursday, January 19th, in the Basin Park Hotel. We talked late last week. You can see a complete rundown of the music at OzarkMountainMusicFestival.com. The Lunch Hour is back, January 13th, noon to 1, with music from Emmy-nominated artist and composer Amos Cochran and food from the Fayetteville Public Library, 641 Delhi. The event will be held at the library's new event center located at 401 West Mountain Street, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Come enjoy good food and good music at this month's lunch hour. Don't miss it. Friday the 13th, noon to 1 at 401 West Mountain Street, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Music from Amos Cochran and food from the library 641 Delhi. Reserve your tickets now on Facebook and Eventbrite. This is Ozarks at Large. Earlier today, the Ozarks at Large staff got together and discussed the stories and the interviews that we've got planned for the first month of 2023. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. We've we've taken a couple weeks off, and you could really just feel like an excitement in the room. Everyone had a lot of really cool, unique ideas. Uh, it's fun to come back from a break and and see the the wheels spinning in everybody's heads. All right, so I'm going to do something a bit dangerous. I'm going to try to read some of my handwriting <laughs> to just give you an idea of some of the things that you're going to be hearing over the next few weeks yeah. on Ozarks at Large. This one's easy to read because it's something I'm doing. I'm going to the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum, the Fort Smith Ram, tomorrow mm-hmm. afternoon. This is their 75th year of operation. That's awesome. And they're going to have uh, a lot of interesting things going on. I know that you're can – we, can we mention that you're sure. talking about someone who – works at the website find a grave yes yeah i um as, as some of you may know i uh, my wife is pregnant we are in the midst of having a child and was looking up some information about my family and was on the website findagrave.com and realized that there are like people who for free go to cemeteries and take photos of of memorials and they and there's you know, people who take thousands of photos and keep up with all of this stuff. And I found a guy locally here in Fayetteville who does that. And so in a couple of weeks, he and I are going to go out to the Fayetteville National Cemetery and just walk through the cemetery, kind of see what his process looks like. It's a really, he's a really fascinating guy too. So Rachel Sanchez-Smith talked with Brad Marquis, who will be at the Walton Arts Center later uh, this month. He 
presents a tribute to Sam Cooke, one of mm-hmm. the best voices in pop music history. Uh, Daniel Carruth is um, talking, uh, investing, looking at um, lottery sales in Arkansas, perhaps moving online, mm-hmm. expanding to online. He's working on a couple more podcasts of points of departure. I know Timothy Dennis is going to be talking with band members from National Park Radio. They've got a brand new CD out. Yep. And Anna Pope is working on Stormwater Volume in Urban Areas in Northwest Arkansas and much more. Lots going on, putting the large in Ozarks at Large. The Fresh Grass Music Festival returns to the Momentary in Bentonville May 19th and 20th, featuring award-winning artists Camp, Mavis Staples, Sierra Farrell, the Del McCory Band, and more. Early bird tickets and information at themomentary.org. This is Ozarks at Large. It is time now to continue something that we began yesterday. That is the list of Courtney Lanning's 10 favorite movies of 2022. We did 10 through 6 yesterday. Just to remind you, that was number 10, 3,000 Years of Longing with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Number 9, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Number 8, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Number 7, Prey. Number 6, the beautiful animated film, The Sea Beast. Courtney Lanning, welcome back to Ozarks at Large. We're ready to hear your top five. Kyle, I've got them stored and waiting for you. I will tell you that 10 through 6, to me, was a collection, I haven't seen them all, but of really varied, and the ones I have seen, very good movies. So I'm very excited about your top five of 2022. Well, you know, I, I hope to continue my uh, habit here of maybe tossing in a movie or two that might surprise you that might not be on other people's lists. So let's do it. All right. You mentioned this one briefly yesterday, sort of a forward uh, foreshadowing, and that is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, uh, the famed Oscar-winning director's take on an old story. Yes, a very old story. Um <laughs> uh, Some people may not know this, but Disney did not invent Pinocchio. Uh, It's actually an Italian children's book that came out, I think, in the 1880s. So it's got legs to it. (laughs) And Del Toro came in here and just put his own spin on it. What he created here is something that I called in my review, Godlike Craft. (laughs) Because this is a stop-motion animated movie, and we don't get a lot of those anymore, Kyle. They're so difficult to make. You have to come up with these intricate little sets that fit on tabletops, and you have to come up with these little <laughs> dolls and characters, and and you take hundreds of thousands of still photos of them just barely moving, and then you put it all together. It's it's hard work. Well, and what what you and I talked about when we reviewed this movie in late 2022 was not only is it beautiful, there is a compelling story. There is. Um, You know, Del Toro didn't just take what Disney offered. He didn't just take what the original book offered. He inputs a lot of his own original ideas into this take on Pinocchio. You know, you deal with things like the afterlife and, you know, it's set during World War II, the rise of authoritarianism powers in Italy, which you wouldn't think to put in a Pinocchio cartoon, but Del Toro weaves it right in there along with other themes like you know, Catholicism and how that kind of went hand in hand with authoritarianism with the rise in Italy. And it's it's an interesting and creative mix of originality that he brought. And not only that, you get some fantastic performances from Ewan McGregor as Jiminy Cricket. And you get Christoph Waltz as uh, the guy who runs this evil circus that's going to try to trick Pinocchio into thinking he's a star and making lots of money, little of which Pinocchio will see himself. So in in terms of craft, in terms of acting, I I think that not only is this the best animated film of last year, this is one of the best films of the year overall. Well, I mentioned that Guillermo del Toro is an Oscar-winning director. So is the person who was behind your number four movie of the year, The Fablemans. Yeah, The Fablemans is is a movie that unfortunately did not make a lot of money um, because it seems... We're just in an age of cinema where if something is not a part of a tentpole franchise, like the Fast and the Furious or the Marvel films, which are fine, um, people just are not going to go out in droves and see it. Uh, I call it a, a consequence of the further pandemic effects on movies. Mm-hmm. But The Fablemans is, is a film that uh, really seemed to divide the critics I talked to. Um, even some of my own fellow critics here at the, the Democrat Gazette. Um, 
Some called it a just a disingenuous take by Spielberg. It's basically a story about his childhood and how he grew up falling in love with the craft of cinema. Um, man, this guy weaved a spell and I fell under it. You break down this movie into its most simple pieces. It's not just a story about making movies. It's a tale about the true cost that storytellers pay to feed their addiction to creative expression. Um, there's just amazing performances in this, but the, the one that stands out to me is one that's only in it for maybe five minutes, and it's Judd Hirsch. Huh. Judd Hirsch comes out of nowhere. He essentially plays uh, young Steven Spielberg's eccentric uncle, who is a lion tamer. He's on screen for, I kid you not, five minutes, and he just steals the whole show. You remember him long after the credits roll. Wow. Well, I, I am anxious to see this, and I know that critics have been divided on it, but those who liked it really, really liked it. Yeah, you'll find it on um, plenty of critics' lists, um, but you'll also find people who say, well, you know, this isn't really how Steven Spielberg grew up, or he clearly tweaked these things or put it under a romantic lens, and it's it's like, well, that's that's what what everybody would do with their past life if they could, right? Set things up so their origin story is one of heroic proportions. Haven't people seen a Steven Spielberg movie before? I mean... (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. And you mentioned that it didn't make a lot of money. I think there are a lot of people who now think, well, it'll be on streaming soon enough. I mean, things get from the theater to to your home TV, sometimes in a matter of weeks or days. One that was streaming, I think, exclusively is your number three film, Emergency. Yeah. You know, this is one that I haven't seen on anybody else's list. Um, And that's not what makes the film great. I think what makes this movie great is that it's the most important movie of the year that I've seen. Um, And what I mean by that is... Sadly, I don't hear enough people talking about how this film brings forth such a heartbreaking and brutally honest depiction of just how deadly existing as a black person can be in the United States of America, especially, you know, when authorities get involved and there's scuffles and and conflicts and such. Um, Things that, that you and I see on the news every day, our existences for people our fellow neighbors who live in this country. And this is a movie about those consequences. Uh, It follows a couple of black college students who come home one day to their house and they find a, uh, a high school girl passed out on their living room floor. And they know that no matter what they do, this is going to land them in trouble. Even if they didn't do anything, just the mere presence of this minor in their floor passed out um, is is just creating this horrific nightmare of a situation. So the the movie follows their attempt to get her to the hospital, but her friends are tracking her phone and they think she's being kidnapped. So you know, there's comedic elements to this film for sure. But I think what stands out to me is just the honest take of, you know, if we make one wrong move here, it can cost us our lives, especially if. You know, there's a scene where something that you and I might not think about as a minute detail, but it was so important to them, is they're driving in a minivan trying to get this girl to a hospital. And at one point, they realize their taillight is broken. And so they have uh, just this realistic conversation of this is something small that could get us pulled over and lead to a huge problem. You know, if you and I have a busted taillight, we have a busted taillight. Our odds of getting pulled over for that are slim to none. But mm-hmm. but for them, it becomes this whole factor in the equation of we're just trying to survive and do the right thing here. And, you know, that's that's what the movie offers. And I, I think it's important for, for everybody to see it. Emergency, that's number three on your list. I'm talking with Courtney Lanning about Courtney's 10 favorite films of 2022. Time to go to number two, this little independent film that you may have heard of called Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I don't know that everybody has heard of this movie, Kyle. So maybe we should explain that this is a sequel to a Tom Cruise hit from the 1980s. Uh, It features a little-known artist named Kenny Loggins performing the lead (laughs) song here called Highway to the Danger Zone. 
Um, look, you can hate Tom Cruise. You can hate the fact that they made a sequel to a movie that's more than 35 years old. But in spite of all that, Top Gun Maverick found a way to win. Um, and I think that comes from a mix of Cruise's willingness to go the distance and get those lifelike shots, how closely they worked with the U.S. Navy to get these plane shots and appropriately mix it with cautious use of CGI. Um, and, you know, his dedication to advancing the story of one of his most famous characters. Uh, if you ask people Tom Cruise's uh, most famous characters, you know, at the top they might put Ethan, uh, Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible franchise. Um, but definitely Maverick is going to be one of them. So Top Gun Maverick with Tom Cruise, number two. Your favorite movie of 2022. This is one we talked about almost a year ago. And I remember you saying at the time, when you were raving about it, you couldn't imagine that there was going to be another movie that came out that you would like more. And it turns out there wasn't one you liked better than Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. There was not. Uh, I didn't want to, what do you call that, a self-fulfilling prophecy? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. But, you know, excuse me while I gush about how completely this film captured me. You know, Marvel took a crack at a multi-dimensional piece of fiction last year with Doctor Strange, and it was fine. Um, but this movie just, it bends the brain in all the right ways so that when you finish the movie after your fifth run, you're still going, what? <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's also, it captures uh, this powerful picture of what love can mean for a family. For, for those of you who still have not heard of this film, somehow, um, this is a movie about uh, a Chinese family who runs a laundromat, and they're being audited by the IRS, which is already a fun setup, right? right. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is um, the main character here, and she's basically contacted by her husband from another universe, who tells her that this great evil is swallowing all of existence and she's the only one who can stop it. And she basically comes to find out that evil is her daughter from another universe. So she sits out on this multidimensional quest to try to keep the pieces of her life together, but at the same time, also look at how her other lives lived and what they might offer her in terms of perspective and how difficult families and love can be when you're dealing with things like audits and divorce and children coming out and not knowing what to make of that and generational trauma from your own parents who are still alive to inflict that trauma. So mm -hmm. it's, it touches on so many different things here, you know, the burdens and rewards of family. And I, I think even if you don't understand or appreciate all of the science fiction elements that come into it, you can appreciate that at this core, this is a story about a woman who loves her husband and loves her daughter and loves her father and is just trying to find a way to keep them all together without her life falling to pieces. What I love about the contrast between your top two movies is number two, Top Gun Maverick, really leans into the familiar. Though they did update the story, we knew the characters and many of the tropes even, you know, replacing the volleyball game with a touch football game on the beach and that. Whereas everything, everywhere, all at once does nothing with the familiar. It's completely inventive. Absolutely. And, you know, they also bring back, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, uh, Ki Hugh Kwan, yeah. um, who, of course, starred in The Goonies and Indiana Jones growing up. They bring him back in this role, and I think both him and Michelle Yeoh both deserve Oscars for their performances here. Um, but he just, he does such an amazing job as the heart and the soul of this movie, you know, as a husband who's trying to get his wife's attention because she's so buried in business, trying to get her attention to remember that she does have a family and life is worth living, um, even with all of the stress and troubles that they're going through. So the movie offers everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once. Courtney Lanning's reviews are found Fridays in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, thank you for pulling your hair out and making a top 10 list. We'll talk again very soon.
Sounds good, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Tomorrow on Ozarks, Planned Parenthood is now offering telehealth medication abortions, including to women in states where abortion is banned. We can provide medication abortion even on days when we're relying on physicians who are not in the same city as our patients. That story on tomorrow's show. And we'll ask composer and musician Amos Cochran about what he's planning for his performance Friday at the Fayetteville Public Library, the first KUAF lunch hour performance of 2023. And remember, this month's lunch hour goes on the road. Well... Across the road, anyway. (laughs) We'll be in the Pat Walker Community Room at the Fayetteville Public Library. You can join us by registering for the free event at Eventbrite. Uh, You better hurry. There aren't many left. Yeah. Food for Friday's lunch hour provided by 641 Deli at the library. You can hear Amos Cochran talk about the show, plus much more, on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF. You can always ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large to hear the most recent episode. Jill Weber-Lenz is a professor and associate dean at the University of Arkansas School of Law. She's an expert on legal recognition and treatment of stillbirth and has written about it in the context of tort, remedies and criminal law, maternal health care, and reproductive rights and justice. Something that's really frustrated me about the abortion debate for a long time is that pregnancy loss is not in the picture because the anti-abortion side wants us to believe that every pregnancy not terminated will end up with a living baby. And the abortion rights side wants us to believe that every pregnancy not terminated will end up in forced parenthood. The millions of pregnancy losses that happen every year are just erased. More recently, her research in this area has led to examining the legal ramifications of abortion, especially in light of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. You can hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research and economic development podcast of the University of Arkansas. Listen at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Osage. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Josie Lenora, and Courtney Lanning. Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. It's been a few weeks since you and I have done a show together. That's very true. And I couldn't wait for us to do it together because while we were not doing the show, something happened, which I love. You know what a scorigami is. I do know what a scorigami is. The idea is it's a unique score that has never happened before. I presume you're talking about the NFL. Yes. Right? So, you know, a 7 to 10 is a very novel. It's a a score that happens all the time. But there are scores that are very unique that have never happened before in NFL history. We had three scorigamis this year. Yes. I had insomnia one night, and I started researching this. (laughs) The most recent was uh, about three weeks ago when Cincinnati defeated New England 22-18. First time that's ever happened. 22-18. 22-18. Now, the last game of the regular season, Lions and Packers. Lions won 20-16. That's the 62nd time that's happened. Yeah. This got me really studying which scores haven't happened, and all the common ones, like you said, 20-17. to 17. Yeah. But you know what score hasn't happened that could happen? Could happen as in, like, it's it's not like 84-81 to 81 kind of score. It's, right? it's, it's a possibility. It's, it's, it's a more It's like less likely score. to happen than 84-81. Right. 6-1. to one. Huh. Right, because because now you know the one could happen right on a point after attempt. Is that when that would happen? All right. So if on a point after that doesn't work, if the team that's trying to score has a safety in their own end zone, so like seventy yards back the other way. Oh wow! That's one point for the defense. Yeah. Okay. Well, I knew you would appreciate that. We can talk <laughs> about wild. that much more. Thank you so much for listening. We're back tomorrow. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well.